Our text this week from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, the Nephilim, the sons of God and the daughters of men. Let's go to verse 1. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh and yet his days shall be 120 years. So it starts off this passage telling us that... uh, People are multiplying on the earth, and we've seen that in the last few chapters, uh, naming different people, and they had sons and daughters, in chapter 5 in particular, where it gives us the lineage and their ages, and they, after each one it said, and they lived 900 years and had sons and daughters. They lived uh, 960-something years, and they had sons and daughters, right? So people are multiplying on the face of the earth. Then it mentions these sons of God and these daughters of men, and they're marrying together, And then, out of the blue, it seems like that sounds okay. It's nice. Multiplying on the face of the earth. That's what God told Adam and Eve. Multiply and fill the face of the earth. And here they're doing it, and they're marrying. And then God's not happy with it. (laughs) God says, I'm not going to strive with you forever. And even though you've been living 900 years, you're only going to live 120 years. Now, Moses, I believe, is the one that wrote uh, the book of Genesis. And so the time period of Genesis 6, just prior to the flood, would have been hundreds of years uh, before Moses comes on the scene. And so this is really a prophecy. And Moses didn't know when he was going to die. And yet Moses lived 120 years. And so he's writing that God said, although you're living 900 plus years, you're only going to live 120 years. And that's how long Moses lived. So God knows, right? God knows ahead of time. God prophecies. God Word is truth. And that's just another one of many, many multitude of examples. So continuing on with this passage, going into verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days and also afterward. And when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were mighty men of old, men of renown. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man. And the Lord said, I will destroy man from the face of the earth. Now, in both those sections, both those slides, right? So these texts one through seven and where it spoke a little bit. And then it said that the Lord was not happy with it. And then it spoke some more. And then it says the Lord, again, is not happy with it. He's sorry he made man. Who is he, who is he angry with? Who is he pronouncing judgment upon in both those sections where it mentions God not happy? Against mankind, right? Against mankind, right? A man now is only going to live 120 years. And here it says that he's sorry he made man, right? And he's going to destroy man from the face of the earth. Now, how these first seven verses of chapter six are maybe generally uh, understood is that the sons of God are evil angels and that these evil angels are marrying women on the earth and having children with these women and they're creating giants and the word for giants there is nephilim the word nephilim the hebrew word just means giants uh is used three times in the bible 
here once and two other times in the same verse, so really kind of like twice, um, and that's the term means giants, and so the interpretation is that these evil angels are having sex, marrying and having sex with these women, and creating these giants, and the Lord is not happy with that. And that's the general understanding. Maybe you've heard that uh, interpretation before. So let's take a look at some thoughts regarding that. Well, before, I guess, before we get into that, let's look at the text without God's condemnation of it. Just focus down, just kind of pare down the, the, the first seven verses, uh, eliminating where God says he's not happy and his judgment, and just look at the text itself. When man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose, and there were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterwards, and when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were mighty men of old, men of renown. Okay, okay without God's opinion of that whole thing, that's kind of just the facts portions of those first seven verses. And again, how many people interpret that is that um, the sons of God are evil angels marrying, having sex with the daughters of men, women, and creating giants. Okay? So now let's th look at some thoughts on that. First, question one, where in the Bible does it call evil angels sons of God? Can someone help me with that? Okay, I mentioned sons of God in the book of Job, yes, but where in the Bible does it call evil angels sons of God? I'll make it simple for you. It's not there. There's nowhere in the Bible that it calls evil angels sons of God. Okay? So it's just not there at all anywhere in the Bible. Again, in the book of Job, it talks about the sons of God. Nowhere does it indicate that they are evil angels. Question two. Are angels, whether evil or good, ever given in the Bible in marriage? No. Actually, the Bible tells us they are not given in marriage, right? But what was happening in verses 1 through 7? The sons of God were doing what with the daughters of men? Marrying them. Well, that's kind of interesting. Verse 3. Does the Bible say that angels can procreate? No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say they can't, but it doesn't say they do. And if they're not given in marriage, the kind of indication there is that because they're not procreating, right? And not able to procreate. And, you know, if you think about it, if they were able to procreate, we'd have even more evil angels than we already have, right? So that'd be a real, real problem on this earth. And so there is no indication that they are able to procreate. And in those seven verses, are the word, is the word angels even mentioned? No, wasn't mentioned at all. Okay, number four. If a dog and a cat have sex, will it produce anything? No. So what would make us think that angels and humans having sex can produce anything? I think there's a lot more similarities between a dog and a cat than there is between an angel and a human being. 
And so, you know, different species don't mix. It just doesn't happen and produce anything, especially anything that can then continue to reproduce. I mean, the closest we get is, 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 is what, the, the, uh, a donkey and a, and a horse mating and, 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 and creating a mule, right? But, we, but they can't continue to procreate. And, uh, but certainly, again, different species don't match up. And I even have a friend who has a, a, um, uh, a farm, lots of cattle, and he bought some kind of miniature cattle. I mean, they weren't real small, but they were smaller than the rest of his cattle. And they, uh, one of his bulls, full-size bull, mated with one of those kind of miniature cows. And when she was attempting to give birth, the, 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 the calf was too big and she died. Yeah, so, um, yeah, you can imagine, you know, like a... Like a yeah, a, a German shepherd and a chihuahua, right? The thing's not going to survive, right? And so how are these evil angels producing these giants out of these women? Question five. If, e if evil angels were having such a good time marrying and having sex with humans, why aren't they doing that today? Now, you might be thinking, well, maybe they are, and that's where we've gotten these politicians and, you know, and... <laughs> That then would make sense. That would explain a lot of things, right? You know, so maybe that's, uh, you know, and George Soros and Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates. Maybe that's where they came from, right? That explains it, right? But, uh, but there is no indication, nowhere else in the Bible, that it says that evil angels continue to have sex with humans, right? And uh, we're not seeing that today uh, at all and haven't seen that, again, really ever. Right, so really, I mean, the whole theory really begins to break down when we even just look at it at face value. And the fact that angels are not even mentioned in the verses, right? And sons of God are never referred to as evil angels, right? So uh, let, we're now going to look at what is the text saying, and we're going to learn how to study the Bible, and where we get our sources for, and where we get our source of information, and how we understand things, right? So uh, maybe you've heard that theory before, and maybe you've even believed that theory before, um, and maybe you're feeling a little silly for believing that theory in the past, but now we're going to look at what the text is actually saying. And where should we go to find out? To the Bible. That's a great idea, right? Not to the internet, not to some book that's outside of the Bible, right? And that's really where the theory comes from. It doesn't come from the Bible, right? So we're going to go to the Bible and let the Bible explain itself. And that's how you study the Bible, by, again, not going to the internet, not looking at stuff outside the Bible, but by going to the Bible and looking at the text throughout the Bible that use similar terms that are in the text itself. Right? What were the main words that were used in the text that we looked at, verses 1 through 7? Sons of God. That's a good place to start. Let's start with that. Okay, so let's look in the Bible at some of the places, it's used a lot, some of the places where sons of God are mentioned. Well, here's again, just to review that, that nowhere in there are angels mentioned, right? Just sons of God, Daughters of men, that's what we're going to look at, who the sons of God are, who the daughters of men are, and what are they doing, these sons of God and these daughters of men? What are they doing? 
marrying. So we're going to look in the Bible, what the Bible says about marriage. Right? That makes sense, right? That's how you study it. And that they were having children. We're also going to look a little bit at what these giants are as well, these Nephilim. Okay, so what does the Bible say about sons of God? Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Galatians 3, 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. 1 John 3, 2, we are children of God, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Does any of that sound like evil angels? No, just the opposite, right? Peacemakers, led by the Spirit of God, faith in Messiah Yeshua, becoming like God, being recreated back into his image that he originally plan for humanity. These are the children of God. Let's continue with some more text. Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 1 John 3.1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. John 1.12, as many as receive him to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So who are the children of God? We are. Believers are. Those who have faith in Messiah. Those who believe in his name. Those who believe in God. These are the children of God. Right? Not evil angels. Right? So right there already, we can see that whole theory. It just loses its whole Whatever it had, it didn't have anything to begin with, right? But it's just totally wrong. So we have the children of God. And now let's look at who are these daughters of men. Again, we'll go to the Bible. In Galatians 11.5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. In Psalm 4.2, how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? In Romans 9.8, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Okay, so it starts off there in Genesis 11.5, that those who built the Tower of Babel, those were the sons of men. Now, I'd imagine there were mostly men building the Tower of Babel. But I imagine there were some women who helped out in some way, shape, or form, right? And so if there were some women that were helping out, and if the, the men are referred to as the sons of men, the boys that are helping build the Tower of Babel, they're referred to as the sons of men, then what would the girls be referred to as? The daughters of men. Oh, that's interesting, right? And in Psalm 4, 2, it says, O sons of men, you turn my glory to shame, you love worthlessness and seek falsehood. Do you think it's only the boys who... Turn God's glory to shame and only the boys who love worthlessness and seek falsehood. Right? So if the boys are referred to as sons of men when they seek falsehood and worthlessness and turn God's glory to shame, what would the girls be referred to that do those same things? Daughters of men, right? And those who are not children of God, they are children of 
the flesh, right? Children of the flesh. So boys and girls, right? Daughters and sons of the flesh. So that's the contrast. So we have this contrast here between these two people groups. And we'll see the some more contrast here. 1 John 3.10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. We should love one another, not as Cain, whose works were evil, and his brothers righteous. In Philippians 2.15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So we have this contrast between the children of God or the sons of God and the daughters of God and contrasting to the children of the devil. Sons of the devil, daughters of the devil, children of the devil. Right? And then it gives that contrast between Cain, whose works were evil, and Abel, whose works were righteous. And so that's the contrast. A child of God and a child of the devil. Now, are just some people born that way? Are some people born as children of God? And some people are born as children of the devil? Some people just happen to be born better off? And some people just happen to be born lost and, 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 and in trouble? Look at the Philippians text. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. If we have to become children of God then what are we before we become children of God, right? If you become an adult, what are you before you become an adult? A child, not an adult, right? You're not an adult before you become an adult. You are a child, right? And so before you become a child of God, then you are not a child of God, right? Doesn't that just make sense? And how many of us need to become children of God? All, right? All. Everyone needs to be born anew, right? We need to have that new birth experience. We need to be transformed. We need to be changed by the glory of God, by the power of God. Because we are born carnal. We are born sinful. We're born with sinful tendencies. Adam and Eve were created in God's image right out of God's hands. But then they sold us out and we became slaves of the devil. And to whom we are obey, to whom we are slaves. And thus we became his children, as it says in the text there. And that's why we need to be born again. So we are, have new parents, no longer having the devil as our parent, but now having God as our parent. And thus we are then adopted and become children of God. Blameless, harmless, without fault in the midst of of this generation. So it's not that some people are just favored to be born children of God and some people are unfortunate and born children of the devil. We're all born, again, in sin and needing a rebirth, a new life, a new heart. How do we then do that? How do we become children of God? By confessing that we are sinful, by confessing our carnal nature, by coming to the Lord and acknowledging it and receiving his pre-forgiveness for us. And receiving his death, the Messiah's death in our behalf. Accepting his sacrifice for us. His substitution for us. Again, the, the difference between Cain and Abel. 
Abel offered a blood sacrifice. Abel offered a lamb sacrifice as a substitute. Cain did not. Cain was worshiping God, but he did not offer a godly sacrifice, the right sacrifice, the sacrifice God called for, a bloodless sacrifice, fruit and vegetables, and God did not accept it. So we come to the Lord and accept his sacrifice, the Messiah, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world as our substitute, as his receiving our death for us. And then we die in him symbolically, spiritually, and thus the old nature, the carnal nature dies, is buried, and then comes to newness of life. Resurrected in newness of life, the Holy Spirit filling us with his mind, with his heart, with his thoughts, create, recreating in us clean hearts, putting his mind in us and making us blameless, harmless children of God without fault, shining as lights in this world, in contrast to the crooked, crooked and perverse generation among whom we live. And that's the contrast. And that's what's mentioned there in Philippians, and that's what's taking place there in Genesis chapter 6. The children of God and the daughters of men. And what was happening? The children of God, those raised right, those who had godly parents, they're raised right, they're taught right, they know the scriptures, they know God, and yet what are they doing? They were marrying the daughters of men. And what does the Bible say? Luke 17, 26, as it was in the days of Noah. That's chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6. So it will be in the days of the Son of Man, talking about the second coming, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. That's what it says. Right? So there's our connection. It's exactly what it said that in the days of Noah. They were marrying and given in marriage. And then the Lord destroyed it with the flood and destroyed them all. And so they were marrying. And yet it says here that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So the problem they had then is the same problem we have now. The same problem they had then is the problem we're going to have at the last days. Don't expect some evil angels to come down and start marrying people. Right? You know. It's already happening. The same problem they had then is the same problem they had in Moses' day, when Balaam got the daughters of Moab to come and flirt with the, the Israelites. And Aram's son, Phinehas, had to go and put a spear through the two, two of them to stop the plague. It was the same problem that Solomon had in marrying. He was a son of God. He was a child of David, right? Taught right, knew right, believed in God, had a wonderful prayer, dedicated the temple, created the temple, was serving God. And then what did he do? He goes, marry daughters of men. And it gets him distracted, and he loses his way for a long time, and then the nation loses its way. It's the same problem he had then. The same problem that's mentioned here in, um, in, in uh, the Gospels, and the same problem, and in the, 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 the letters, the epistles, and the same problem that we have today. Nothing new 
under the sun. And that's the sad part. But that's reality. That's what was happening. And so what does God say about marriage? What does God say about this? 1 Corinthians 6.14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Messiah with Belial? And what part has the believer with unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of God. Right? Do not be unequally yoked together with who? With evil angels? Is that what it says? No, with unbelievers. Right? In, the, in the Luke verse we just saw, where it said in the days of Noah, they were marrying and giving. Does it say they were marrying evil angels? No, they were marrying and giving in marriage, right? If it was some unique type of marriage, it would say they were marrying angels. It doesn't, evil angels, it doesn't say that. Just that they were marrying and giving in marriage. And here, again, in harmony with the same theme, God does not approve of it. Doesn't approve of being unequally yoked. Defiling the temple. He gives all these examples. What does the Messiah have with, with Belial? What do we light with darkness? Righteousness with lawlessness. Don't unite the two together. It destroys. You are the temple of God. Don't bring idols into the temple of God. It's an grievous sin. And so we had the sons of Seth serving God. We read of few weeks ago, Seth uh, began to call on the name of the Lord. And then we read Enoch walked with God and men were walking with God. But then they got sidetracked and began intermarrying with unbelievers. And then what does that do to the children? Maybe you've experienced this firsthand. Maybe you've seen it secondhand. What does it do to the children? It creates a lot of confusion, a lot of Babylon. Then they don't know who they are and they don't know what to believe. And it affects then God's work. It affects the spreading of God's truth. And maybe you've made this mistake, but receive God's forgiveness and by his grace, make the best of it and let your light shine so that you might win that unbeliever to the Lord. But if you're not married, don't make the mistake that they were making back in Noah's day. Don't make the mistake that Solomon made. Don't make the mistake that the children of Israel were making. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not. It says very strongly. And then this text continues. It doesn't stop there. The same text out of 1 Corinthians 6, picking up at verse 17, or still at 16. And God has said, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So right in context of our key words in this verse, in Genesis chapter 6, where it talks about sons of God, daughters of men, we have sons and daughters, sons and daughters of Heavenly Father, sons and daughters of God, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's how you study the Bible. 
you look at the text, you search the rest of the Bible, what does this text allow the Bible to interpret itself? Recently, someone uh, wrote to me and said, oh, you said something's wrong. And I said, oh, well, show me from the scriptures where I want to learn. You know, show me where in the scriptures uh, I was wrong. And they wrote back and said, well, this group doesn't believe that. And this group, I said, I don't care what this group or that group. Show me from the Bible. What, well, I don't have time. You won't believe it anyway. They said, well, show me the scriptures. So then they sent me a video of someone saying, you know, <laughs> show me from the Bible. From the, so you use the Bible. Look in the Bible. Look in the scriptures and let the Bible explain itself. And it makes so much more sense. And we will be safe in God's word as we do that. And then we can obey it and walk in his light. You know, if we think, oh, the big problem before Noah's day was the evil angels. Well, I've never had sex with evil angels. I guess I don't have to worry about the flood. I don't have to worry about the destruction that's coming upon this world. And it's not just talking about marriage. You know, again, it's don't be unequally yoked. In business deals, in business partnerships, um, in, uh, in attachments, attaching ourselves Physically, but also mentally and spiritually, the things that we watch, the things that we listen to, we're not supposed to be like the world. Come out from among the world. Be separate from the world. Come out of Babylon, my people. Come out from this carnal world that we live in. Pleasures of sin for a time. Separate from it. The greed, the selfishness, the pride, the frivolity, the empty entertainment so-called entertainment of this world. Come out from it. Be separate from it. Seek the Lord. Walk with the Lord and not with the world. Don't partner ourselves with the world and desire the things of this world like Lot's wife desiring Sodom and her heart's still there even though her feet are moving in the other direction, her head turned back. Come out from the world. or the children of Israel in the wilderness. Their heart was still there. Give us the leeks and onions. <laughs> leeks and onions? You want to go back to slavery for some onions? What are you kidding? <laughs> you know? That's why we love this world. Our carnal nature is drawn to this world. And we need to, by God's grace, come out of it. We need to surrender that. Confess that. Allow God to remove that desire and draw close to God. Let's look at the text back in Genesis chapter 6. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. And when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were mighty men of old, men of renown. So giants. Who are these giants? Well, they were giants. <laughs> just as there were giants in the world. It's just kind of a statement of fact. There were giants in those days and also afterwards. That's all it's saying. There were giants before the flood. There were giants after the flood. They were living 900 years. They could do a lot of growth in 900 years, right? So if they were built to live 900, they were built to live forever. Adam and Eve were built to live forever. But even after sin, they continued to live over 900 years. And so they were built much better than you are and me. <laughs> right? So they were great. So if their lives were 900 years and our lives are 70 to 90 years or so, right? They were living 10 times as long, right? And if we're five or six feet, do you think they easily could have been two or three times our height? If they're living 10 times as long, do you think they could have been 10 to 15 feet? I think so. Why not? 
They built an ark, right? They did all these amazing things. I think they easily were giants. They just, it's just a statement of fact. They were bigger then. It's all Moses is saying. Right? Moses is now only 120 years, living 120 years, which is still pretty good. And so he's writing, yeah, they were giants, and they were big people back then. <laughs> we still got some of those big people here now. Even in Cana, there's some of those big people still around. That's all he's saying. Not saying that these giants were an offspring of evil angels uh, and women having children that were giants because of this amalgamation of this mixing of these two seeds, seed and egg. No, that's not what it's saying. It didn't say that at all. It's just saying they were giants. And that's just a statement of fact. They were giants, big deal. Right? Goliath was a giant. Not the same word, not called the Nephilim, but he was a big guy, right? You know, and that's David. That's, that's hundreds, that's thousands of years later, over a thousand years later. So there could still be a giant around in, in uh, David's time. Well, it's just saying there were giants in the land, that's all. And they were mighty men of old, men of renown. Well, what does renown mean? Reputation. They're well known, right? Known, renowned, renowned, right? That's what the word means. It's the same root there. Right? So they're well known. They've got a lot of influence. They're mighty men of old. Well, who are these? Are these because they were children of evil angels? Where do we go to look? The Bible. The Bible. Let's look just two chapters before. We already looked at this in the past. The children of Cain. The daughters of Cain, right? So Cain bore Enoch, Enoch. This guy, 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 and then all the way down to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And Jabal, his brother, was father of all those who play the harp and flute. And Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. So who has a monopoly on livestock, music industry, the arts, and bronze and iron manufacturing. Cain, Cain's children, Cain's offspring. And are they the children of God or the children of men? Children of God or children of the devil? Children of men, children of the devil, right? Yeah, these are not following God. And yet they control the industry. They are men of renown. They have a lot of influence. They are mighty men. They are instructors of every craftsman, of all who play the flute and the harp. They run the livestock industry. You want to buy some clothing, some cotton, or not cotton, uh, some, some wool, you got to go to them. Right? You want some goat's milk, you got to go to them. You want to go listen to some concert, they're the ones playing it. You need a, a hoe or a shovel, <laughs> you got to go to them. They're men of renown. That's what it says. That, so in chapter 6, it's just saying those giants, some of these giants and these ones that are evil, they are the ones who are having the greatest influence. They're in control. And God's people are in helping matters because God's people are uniting with them and diluting the seed. And what is a person who is half on God's side and half on the world's side? Are they saved or are they lost? Lost. 
What if they're 99% on God's side and 1% on the devil's side? They saved or they lost? How many sins did it take for Adam and Eve to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Just one sin. And that's not even 1%. I'm sure of all the decisions they made. Yeah. So you have these children who are being raised by one godly parent who's compromised already and one ungodly parent. And so they're looking at this. They're kind of 50-50. Who should I choose? And so already now the seed of God is being diluted. And so the children of men were multiplying. I mean, the children of yeah, men were multiplying on the earth and thus having a big influence, a bigger influence than the children of God. That's all it was saying. And that's exactly what it's saying here. And then after this guy, Tubal-Cain, who's the next person after him? And after Tubal and after Jabel, who's, who's after them? Do you remember we looked at this chapter? Who came after them in the lineage of Cain? No one is mentioned. Why is no one mentioned? Because they got flooded out. The flood came and destroyed them all. So these guys were the ones who were living right at the time in chapter 6 that it's describing. They're having a big influence. And so in chapter 6 it says they're the ones who are having all this influence, men of renown. And if you were paying attention, I mentioned them two chapters ago. <laughs> That's what it's saying. So let's go back to the chapter and read it from what we've seen from the Bible. See if it makes sense. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. Anything special about that? No, it's just a statement of fact, right? Just like a statement there are giants in life. It's just a statement of fact, right? Came to pass, men were multiplying on the face of the earth. They were living 900 years and they were having sons and daughters, right? Multiplying on the face of the earth. Daughters are born to them. Sons are born to them. Then verse 2, that the sons of God, godly people, saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. Now, why are the daughters of men more beautiful than the daughters of God? Yeah, that's right. Just like today. Right? The godly women, they're modest. They're not showing themselves off. They're not flirting around. They're right They're humble and meek and seeking the Lord and obedient to their parents and, and doing what is right and doing what is good. And the evil women, just like when those daughters of Moab came in, seducing, showing off too much flesh and flirting around and showing themselves off, winking and getting close and too close. And the carnal heart, the carnal nature in these sons of God, these young men are getting drawn to that and they're yielding to that. And the flesh and the lust is taking over. Their mind is serving God. We love God. I'm going to follow my parents' influence. But then they yield to the flesh. Nothing new under the sun. Right? You don't need some fanciful tale to explain these verses. All you got to do is look at reality in our world today of what is happening among the sons of God today. Same thing. That's all. Then verse 3. Oh, and they took wives to themselves of all whom they chose. 
And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. God wasn't happy with it. And as we've seen from the scriptures, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. God's not happy with it. Destroyed the world then. It's destroying God's work now. And it's been a problem against Solomon and down through the ages. and Many other examples as well. And the text continues, and there were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterwards. And when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were mighty men of old, men of renown, like Tubal Cain and Jabel, owning everything. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man. And the Lord said, I will destroy man from the face of the earth. And then verse 8 starts talking about Noah. And how many got in the ark? Only eight. So were the sons of God witnessing to the world? No. What were the sons of God doing? They were marrying, intermarrying with unbelievers. And after that, a few generations of that, there aren't that many believers left, and all we have is eight getting in the ark. That's what it is. This chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 7, is not a standalone story. It's not a whole book in itself. It's the lead to the Noah story. God telling us what it was like in Noah's day so that we'd understand our problem and our issues today. And how we need to overcome and how we need to be alert. How we need to learn from their mistake and not make the same mistake again. And come out of the world, again, not just through marriage, but the whole thing, coming out of the worldliness and being separate. Because we're not shining as lights among a dark generation if we're just like them. Light has no accord with darkness. When you go into a dark room and you turn on the light, it's not half light and half dark. The darkness disappears. There's no middle ground. There's no compromise. We're either for the Lord or we're not for the Lord. And so we need to be on guard. And we need to trust in the Lord and serve him, keep our eyes focused on him. And we shouldn't be surprised when the majority of so-called professed godly people, so-called children of God, are living for the world and uniting with the world and the things of this world and the people of this world. But we ourselves, straight and narrow path, straight and narrow road, our eyes focused on the goals set before us, looking unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith, and walking hand in hand with him, who is tempted in all ways like we, as we are, yet who did not sin. Stay close to him, who lived in the flesh, who came to this earth 33 years, but it had nothing in him. Satan was not able to gain a foothold in him. And Satan doesn't have to gain a foothold in us either. We can overcome by the grace of the Lord, by the blood of the Lamb, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Not be attracted by the tinsel and the silver and the gold and the commercials and the promises and the 
fancy and the frivolity and the emptiness that this world has to offer. And so as we prepare to pray, if you had gotten caught up in that crazy notion that evil angels were having sex with women and you see the stupidity of that now and you want the Lord to cleanse you and forgive you for allowing yourself to be deceived in that way, then a moment when we pray, ask God to do it because it's not just a switch of your mind. We need the Holy Spirit to change us, change our mind, change our thinking. Again, it's not just a solitary doctrine. If we yield it for that, Satan knows that we're susceptible to every wind of doctrine. And so we need God to give us his mind so that we study the scriptures correctly and wisely, comparing line upon line, here or there, here a little, there a little, verse upon verse from the word of God and within the word of God. And so if you've been caught up in that, in a moment when we pray, you can confess it, give it over to the Lord, allow him to cleanse you, and allow him to give you proper mind to study God's word. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. It'll give you a spiritual discernment between truth and error, right and wrong. Secondly, if you've made the mistake and have been unequally yoked with an unbeliever, whether through marriage or whether through business partnership or your desires and your heart and, and your uh, activities and your habits and your lifestyle is caught up in the things of this world. And in a moment when we pray, ask God to separate you from the world, to set you free, to drag you out if he has to, like Lot, grab a hold of you and pull you out, and set you free from this world and the things of this world. That you can be holy, set apart for him, sanctified for him. That you can be holy because the Lord your God is holy. Amen. That you can be sons and daughters of God. Behold what manner of love he has given to you. What a high calling. And so if that's your desire, then a moment when we pray, you can surrender the past Give that over to him or the present. Give it over to him. Let him change you for the future. Third, if you want to ask God to just fill you with his spirit, to overflowing, you want to lay hold of that claim that you are a child of God, bought and redeemed, opted into his family. You want to live up to that calling by his grace, by his spirit. In a moment when we pray, ask God to make you a light in this world, to shine untainted, without fault, blameless, harmless in this wicked generation. And even as things even get worse and worse, that God will hold you fast and hold you firm and hold you secure in his power and in his love. And if that's your desire, in a moment when we pray, ask God to let, your light, let his light shine out of you. And fourth, if you just want to praise God, and thank him for his great love, that he has not given up on us, that he had faithful Noah, that he has maintained a righteous seed down through the generations, 
that he has called you and he has redeemed you and that he's made you his daughter, that he's made you his son. And you just want to thank him for that. That great love, that great redeeming love, that great absolute miracle of what he has taken and what he has remade and what he has molded us into. It's absolutely the greatest miracle that he's ever done. Greater than manna falling down for 40 years, six days a week, greater than parting Red Seas or healing or raising the dead, changing our hearts, changing us from children of the devil to children of God. What a great God we serve. What a loving God we have. And if you want to just praise him for that, in a moment when we pray, you can just lift up your heart and mind and say, thank you, Lord. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, Thank you that your ways are truth and your path is right and that your word makes sense. We're thankful, Lord, there's nothing new under the sun. Thank you that you've revealed to us the past so that we can know the present, so that we can know the day that we're living in, so that we can see the mistakes of the past and that we can allow you to change our hearts and minds in the present and in the future. So work in us and through us. Forgive us for our past mistakes. Forgive us for when we've united with the world. Cleanse us, forgive us, change us. Forgive us for getting mixed up in false doctrines and false theories that are not from your word. Fill our minds with your heart. Fill our minds with the living word. Fill our minds with spiritual discernment. Fill our hearts with your spirit. Fill us with your grace. Thank you for changing us and transforming us and making us recreating us into your image. We might be like you, your sons, your daughters. Thank you for being our godly, heavenly, wonderful Father. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.